0: And I came out to make sure that we stay focused on the president's decisive action in Syria and the attempts that he's making to destabilize the region. Uh, did he say destabilize? I don't know why I came here tonight. He did. I got the feeling something right. No, it ain't. I'm too scared in case I fall off my chair. Destabilize. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Oh, Sean Spicer, your gold. Clown to the, left of me, to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you yep yes, I'm stuck in from the Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 so FM People Powered Radio in LA in Santa Barbara on 98.7 FM in San Diego 93.7 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake California 99.5 FM up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI 92.9 FM Maui, Hawaii, 88.5 FM, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN 94.1 FM, Palinville, New York's WLPP 102.9 FM, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, Public Reality Radio, and AM 950 KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul. We're also heard coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, indie media weekly fyi nation nicole Sandler.com, radio free brooklyn gdpr revolution 99 detour talk radio monterey and radio sputnik blanketing planet earth five days a week i'm brad friedman your friendly investigative blogger journalist troublemaker muckraker all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you for joining us today for another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we call the Brad Blog—I'm uh, no, sorry—we call it the Brad Cast. I can't even keep it straight. Coming up, some uh, some big and uh, pleasantly good voting news from the courts this week in Texas. Some really big news, some huge news, as my uh, guest coming up shortly uh, described it when uh, when when the uh, when the court ruling came in. Also, I continue to keep my eyes, at least on Asia this week, with Donald Trump sending a strike group towards the Korean Peninsula, as we discussed in detail yesterday with longtime Voice of America Asia correspondent, now White House Bureau Chief Steve Herman. If you missed that interview, by the way, you should download it, Uh, if only for his description of Sean Spicer's amazing Hitler comments during uh, during the press briefing yesterday. Uh, the, uh, Herman described it to us. Just mo- he was there for it. He described it just moments after it happened. Uh, but more importantly, um, for for Herman's perspective, uh, important perspective, I think on what could happen next in Donald Trump's saber rattling with nuclear armed North Korea. I, you know, I'm I'm kind of surprised at how little attention this is getting. Uh, so we we talked about it in great detail on yesterday's show. You can download it at uh, bradblog.com or your favorite uh, iTunes, uh, whatever, your favorite podcast site here at kpfk.org. I'll be getting some interesting responses from listeners via email about that issue and about that interview at bradcast at bradblog.com. If you'd like to send an email to me, you can anytime, And perhaps we'll get to some of that on one of our shows later this week. Uh, worth keeping your eyes on, too. um As Trump continues to change his positions on foreign policy with the drop of a hat today at a press conference with the NATO secretary general, Trump reversed his position uh, again, this time on NATO, saying, quote, NATO is no longer obsolete. Well, that was quick. Uh, So uh, who knows what he'll say or do tomorrow or later today? on anything in his incoherent make-it-all-up-as-you-go foreign policy, particularly as his poll numbers stay at record lows for a new president. So we are keeping our eyes on that. Also coming up in a bit, Desi Doyen and our latest Green News report. Hello, Desiree.
1: Hello. Uh,
0: A number of uh, notable things as usual in your report today. Stuff
1: keeps happening.
0: It does, and you keep covering (laughs) it. For some reason, to make me crazy. Nonetheless, uh, the, the Great Barrier Reef, some bad news there as it's fighting for its life. Some bad news on Trump's EPA concerning, oh, lead and children, lead in our water supply and children. But some good news concerning California's drought.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: So there's that.
1: So hold on for that.
0: If everything else goes south, we can look forward to that. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. But we start today in Kansas... Oh, what's the matter with Kansas Um, in Kansas, where Republicans appear to have held off a very strong, at least much stronger than initially expected challenge on Tuesday in the first federal election of the Trump era. It was a special election for a U.S. House seat in deep red Kansas's deep red fourth congressional district to fill the House seat vacated by Republican Congressman Mike Pompeo. Who, uh, who has been tapped, uh, who is now uh, tapped to become, uh, to be Trump's CIA director. The unofficial results, as reported today by the Kansas Secretary of State, show Republican Ron Estes holding off a challenge from uh, Democrat James Thompson, 53 percent to 46 percent with Chris Rockhold, the Libertarian candidate, getting nearly 2 percent of the vote. So that's a little less than an eight point win for uh, for the Republican Estes, uh, carrying the district by a bit more than 8000 votes out of about 121,000 votes said to have been cast in the race. All of this, according to the unofficial results, none of them, I will note, have actually been verified by any human beings. As usual, all results so far uh, have been reported come from computer tabulators, Um, even if most, but not all of the votes in the 4th District's 17 different counties were cast on hand-marked paper ballots, but they're run through computers. So whatever the computers say, that's what the results are in general, unless anybody bothers to count the paper ballots. Uh, A number of the more rural counties use 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems, and I haven't yet done the math, but um, other than cursorily, it looks as if the reported margin currently for Estes is at least larger than the total number of unverifiable touchscreen votes that were cast. So if anybody wishes to try and actually count those paper ballots, we might be able to determine definitively who won the race in this case. All of that said, as these results remain officially unofficial for now, it is often days or weeks or sometimes longer, months, even years, before uh, problems and concerns about results or access to uh, polling places, etc., begin to come to light, as I always warn. Um, Dems did very well, uh, reportedly, in the early voting, but appear to have been outperformed by Republicans on Election Day. This is a pattern we have seen before. Dems do very well in early voting, Republicans do better on Election Day. Uh, Democrats need to get out the vote on Election Day, uh, it looks like. And in this case, they've come under some criticism for not doing enough to help their candidate in this otherwise very Republican district. James Thompson, the Democratic candidate, was a political newcomer. He's a Bernie Sanders-styled progressive populist Indeed, he was inspired to run by the uh, by the popular Vermont senator. He was pro-choice. He was pro-single-payer. And I guess because it's Kansas, uh, he also fired an assault rifle in one of his TV ads. But he ran much like Bernie Sanders, who received uh, just a huge number of donations, uh, small donations against Estes, um, who is who is uh, the Kansas uh, state treasurer. And selected by the uh, Republican Party, by uh, the insider elites of the Republican Party, Estes received at least $100,000 in the closing days from the National Republican Campaign Committee and other national uh, Republican groups. They uh, they bought robocalls and get-out-the-vote calls for Estes in the closing days as panic was setting in for the Republicans and Mike Pence Donald Trump, Paul Ryan all did robocalls for him. Ted Cruz was dispatched in person to the district where he um, where Cruz had won the Republican primary last year. Since uh, Pompeo's appointment as CIA director earlier this year opened up this uh, congressional vacancy, the Cook Political Report adjusted its assessment of this district, of this seat from initially safe Republican to likely Republican, to just leans Republican on the eve of Election Day. Uh, this uh, Thompson was very, very popular there, and uh, this is a tr- a district that Trump had won by 27 points just last November. Its congressional seat uh, has not been held by Democrats in decades. Pompeo won the seat last November by even more than Trump. He won by almost 32 points and this was literally this is literally the home of the Koch brothers. Coke Industries is based near Wichita, which is Sedgwick County and the most populous in the uh, fourth congressional district. The Democrat Thompson uh, easily won voters who cast their ballots early and was uh, easily also carried Wichita's Sedgwick County by about two percentage points. That may not sound like much, but Trump won Sedgwick County in November by 18 points. That is a 20-point swing. So a huge gain in that county for Democrats. But the overall eight-point loss for Democrats, while much much closer than initially expected back when this was thought to be a safe Republican district, the loss has led to no small amount of finger-pointing among Democrats and progressives since the results came in on Tuesday night. The DNC had stayed largely out of the race entirely, though, as Howie Klein uh, of Down With Tyranny, a guest on our show earlier this week and a progressive champion. uh, As he pointed out, uh, the DNC doesn't actually get into House races, so they shouldn't be held too much to blame here. But the state Democratic Party reportedly declined a request by Thompson's campaign for just $20,000 for mailers. And the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, also stayed largely out of this race for reasons that are still unclear uh, at this moment. There are uh, there's, there seems no excuse, frankly, whatsoever for the state party to have remained on the sidelines in, in a race that was this close with a president, this unpopular. But one of the reasons for the national Democrats to stay out, for the DCCC to stay out... As the Twitterati who pretend to know things uh, were speculating last night, is that only uh, you know the only way the Dems could win in a race in such a deep red Republican district like this is if the race remained off the radar, if it remained a sleeper race. The argument goes that if if national Democrats came in in person. Uh, or with money, uh, it would have brought more attention to the race from Republicans and Democrats would have lost by even more in the bargain. That that theory, however, takes some hits once the national Republicans like uh, Trump and Pence and Ryan and Ted Cruz, uh, who, who actually went to the uh, to the district late in the game. Um, you know, once the Republican panic had set in and they started dispatching their national Democrat uh, Republicans. It seems almost inconceivable that Democrats wouldn't want to get in the game with all of the available resources to win this one and only race that was going on yesterday. But again, this was a district that Trump had won by 27 points in November uh, and and that its previous Republican congressman took by 32 points last November So uh, Matt McDermott, pollster uh, last night on the Twitters, uh, noted last week Democrats outperformed the presidential margin out here in California in the uh, 34th district. This was a special election for a vacated Democratic seat. Democrats outperformed their November margin by 19 points on Tuesday in Kansas. They outperformed. By 22 points, there's a signal in all this noise, writes McDermott. Jeet here of New Republic said after an unexpectedly close race in Kansas's fourth district, Democrats should not treat any race, not in the reddest districts in in the USA, as a write-off. They should fight everywhere. Sahil Kapoor uh, Bloomberg News said that if House Republicans in moderate districts are spooked by Obamacare repeal now, wait until they learn that ruby red districts are now officially competitive. David Redlosk, political science professor, said win or lose in deep red districts. The outperforming number is absolutely key. The outperforming number, how well the uh, the Democrats, in this case, outperformed in Kansas, outperformed the, uh, the, the the previous race, the presidential race or the congressional race in Kansas or out here in California last week. Uh, the outperformed number, he says, is absolutely key. The GOP has cause to worry, but he adds 2018 is still a long way away. Tom Bonnier, a political strategist, tweeted, there are over 100 Republicans sitting in districts that wouldn't have been heavily GOP enough to overcome the Democratic swing that we saw in Kansas last night. Harry Enten uh, of 538.com looked a little bit closer at the numbers, said so far, Democrats are swinging districts enough from prior presidential votes to force to foretell a strong 2018 He said the key test then will be next week in Georgia in the sixth district there where there is another open Republican seat in a district that went big time to the congressional uh, Republican congressional candidate, Tom Price, who is now Trump's uh, health and human services director. But that Trump barely won by just over one point. So we will be all eyes on Georgia next Tuesday. Uh, There, the Democrats have a strong candidate Way in the lead currently of a split Republican field in the so-called pri- uh, jungle primary, where a 50 percent plus one win would result in the Democrat winning outright. Otherwise, he'll have to face the GOP winner, whoever that is, in a runoff in June. But if you look at these numbers, um, uh, as Harry Etten has it, uh, an 18 point Democratic advantage out here in California last week over the uh, last two presidential races, a 23 uh, percent difference in in Kansas uh, as uh, as rated against the last two presidential races in Kansas. Um, and uh, so we will see what happens. There was uh, much larger numbers. For, uh, you know, for for the Democrats and the Republicans uh, in, in Kansas and uh, California that would thought to have to have been overcome here. But a huge shift in the voting patterns and in uh, Georgia, uh, the Republicans were only point nine. Uh, let's see, uh, plus nine points in uh, in Georgia over the last two elections. So if you have a 20 point swing in Georgia, well, there you go. Uh, Ryan Grimm at uh, Huffington Post writes that for Democrats, this battle was not in vain. The close margin means that if you're a House or Senate Republican and you won your last election by 20 points or less, you're starting to think a little bit differently now about your own politics. And that means that every man for himself attitude is much likelier to prevail in Congress, which means it's going to be very hard for Trump to get his agenda through. To see it in, in action, Grimm suggests, consider this. Ron Estes in Kansas, the guy who just won, said during the campaign that he was against Trump care. He had to run against Trump care, though he still claims to be in favor of some form of repealing and replacing Obamacare somehow. Uh, Ryan Grimm, Grimm then adds, and a week from today, Georgia voters go to the polls in suburban. Atlanta for a special election that Republicans should be winning easily, but are in a dogfight instead. As we asked on yesterday's broadcast, and I will ask again today, can democracy save democracy? Maybe so, but it's uh, it's little wonder that with uh, Trump and the GOP congressional agenda still in trouble and demographics changes working against them in states like Georgia, and yes, places like Texas, Uh, They are uh, they are still working very hard to keep certain voters from being able to vote at all um, as they seem to be doing anything to make sure that's the case as they're getting out their vote, but trying to keep in certain voters. And on that note, we've got some very big news out of Texas this week, some very good news that could change the voting landscape in Texas for years and even elsewhere in the country. We will discuss that and some less encouraging news out of Ohio with my guest. Coming up next on The Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. (laughs)
1: And thanks.
2: I love the Iowa
0: way to treat you when we treat you, which we may not do at all. Yep. There's an Iowa fine, a special chip on the shoulder, and a duty never been without that we recall. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Where else do you get show tunes and voting news on the same program? Nowhere, I would argue. Uh, Desi, uh, you you say that I mentioned Ohio, uh, that I said Ohio accidentally uh, in, in the tease before the break. I actually meant Iowa. And so let me get straight to Iowa, where Iowa's Republican Secretary of State issued several misleading and inaccurate reports to the press recently regarding the frequency of voter fraud in the Hawkeye State according to emails from his own staff obtained by the Huffington Post and published over the weekend. Uh, th- this is amazing. In a bid to justify a host of voting restrictions that uh, the new secretary of state in Iowa has has proposed, this is Republican Secretary of State Paul Pate, uh, The the state's top election official told local reporters that Uh, They had to institute this because 41 felons had cast ballots in the 2016 election and more than 200 Election Day voter registrations had bounced back as invalid. But as these emails show from Deputy Secretary of State for Elections Carol uh, Olson, uh, she argued in these internal emails that were obtained by Huffington Post that neither of those findings are evidence of voter fraud. As Pate has claimed uh, in support of these new uh, photo ID voting restrictions uh, and other restrictions that has already now been adopted by both chambers of of the state legislature, the voters... With criminal records, these uh, 41 felons, uh, Olson said in her email to Pate, they may have been urged by a poll worker to cast a provisional ballot, which would later be reviewed and tossed out as ineligible if they were actually barred from voting. And those 200 invalid same-day registrations that bounce back, Olson added, those could be attributed just as easily to human error. She wrote, I do not believe that we should say that 41 felons illegally cast ballots. We encouraged them to use provisional ballots, she said, so that would feel a little like we're we baited them into doing something illegal, she wrote. She says it's risky to label it as illegal because we don't know the circumstances. It might be illegal, but it might not be if someone really believed that their rights were restored, she says, then, of course, they would have had the right to to cast a ballot. She said she went on to write, we can report the number of felons voting, but let's not call it illegal. Olson also noted that some of the statistics that Pate had given to the press suggested something nefarious when it could simply be attributed to human error. She wrote in this internal email that the vast majority of these bounce backs are sloppy addresses from voters who were in too much of a hurry when they registered at the polls. That's the real reason to discourage Election Day registration, she writes, and and a real reason to have poll books, but it's not an indicator of illegal activity. She noted, too, that the review of same-day registrations uh, only looked at 15 of the state's 99 counties, painting an inaccurate picture of Iowa's voter registration success rate. And despite these concerns... Alice Olston reports over at uh, Talking Points Memo, and despite the lack of evidence of widespread voter fraud, which is vanishingly rare nationwide, Olstein writes, Pate's office pushed these bad statistics anyway. He's currently pushing this bill that would require a voter ID at the polls, eliminate straight ticket voting and mandate post-election audits of the vote. Well, I like that part anyway. Uh, Versions of his bill have already passed. Iowa's House and Senate are expected to be enacted soon. And this comes as the uh, Des Moines Register reports today that legislative uh, Republicans in Iowa unveiled a budget proposal that includes nearly $650,000 to implement this new voter ID initiative at the same time that it makes $1.4 million in cuts to other departments and other programs, such as, for example, Uh, The Iowa Public Information Board, that's being cut. The Child Advocacy Board is being cut. Given the cuts of every other department, this is unconscionable that we would put almost $700,000 into a problem that doesn't exist, said uh, State Rep Bruce Hunter of Des Moines, especially when we have other problems that do exist and we're cutting those departments. The, uh, the piece of legislation uh, concerning the budget is, uh, is currently under, de- uh, under debate, but it's expected to gain final approval in the Senate and advance to the uh, governor, Terry Branstad, uh, for his signature. Republicans, meanwhile, continue to pretend, even in Iowa, that fraud exists and that any effort to maintain the integrity of Iowa's elections is worth the cost, says the Des Moines Register. I'm glad we've got this. Uh, This is uh, Republican Jake Chapman uh, who says, I'm glad we've got this in the budget bill. I'm happy to support it to ensure the integrity of our electoral process. I think it's a small amount of money to pay. Happy to do it. Apparently, he's also happy to cut some $40,000 from the Child Advocacy Board, which oversees the Iowa court-appointed special advocate program and the Iowa Foster Care Review Board program. To hell with those kids. Let's cut them. We've got pretend uh, voter fraud going on. Of course, none of this is meant to stop voter fraud. We know that for a fact. It is meant to keep Democrats from voting. How do we know this in Iowa in particular? Well, one way we know it is that the Iowa GOP runs its own Iowa presidential caucus every 4 years. And for that, the party itself sets the rules. There is no legislature needed. There's no uh, pesky laws or constitution that they must follow when they run their own presidential caucus in Iowa and make up their own rules. And yet, as I've been reporting for years uh, here on the Bradcast and at Bradblog.com, the Iowa Republicans, the Iowa GOP has yet to create a photo ID restriction for Republicans voting in their own presidential caucus where they could create any so-called anti-voter fraud rule that they want. They don't do it. Like, they, you know, they worry that, oh, there's all of this uh, fraud going on. uh, And they, of course, should be worried about being sued or violating laws, voting laws, when it comes to uh, passing, uh, you know, state laws. But, you know, on the GOP caucus, they can do whatever they want. But they don't keep people from voting if they don't have photo IDs. So neither truth nor facts nor supposedly conservative concerns about, you know, government spending or anything else seems to keep Republicans from doing just about anything they can to keep certain voters, certain voters, you know who you are. Certain voters uh, from staying away from the polls, from keeping them away from the polls any way that they can. Nothing stops them. Well, Nothing, at least, but the courts. And on that score, we've got some good news of late, uh, and again this week, I'm uh, very happy to say. On on March 10, that was a, one month ago, a federal court in Texas found that the state's congressional redistricting maps in the state of Texas quote intentionally diluted minority voting strength in order to gain partisan advantage. Exactly one month later, on April 10, this past Monday night. Another federal court in Texas ruled that the state's strict photo ID restriction law, quote, was passed with a discriminatory purpose in violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Notice a pattern here, Uh, asked uh, the nation's Ari Berman in his coverage on Tuesday. And that's not the only pattern. In the never-ending legal battle over the uh, state of Texas's 2011 photo ID voting restriction alone, never mind similar court rulings in other states, the same Texas law by my count now has been found to have been discriminatory, uh, to have a discriminatory effect and or a deliberately discriminatory purpose. And that's an important distinction we'll talk about with my guest in a moment. Uh, This has been found discriminatory one way or another at least five times by the U.S. Department of Justice, the U.S. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals in D.C., a federal district court in Texas, now twice as of Monday, and the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in Texas, which is regarded as the most conservative uh, appellate court in the nation. They, too, found that this law was discriminatory. And that's only the Texas law. Similar laws in Wisconsin and North Carolina uh, and elsewhere, perhaps soon in Iowa, as I mentioned, all enacted by Republicans in each state claiming the measure is needed to stop voter fraud, despite any actual voter fraud that any of these uh, states have been able to demonstrate might have actually been deterred by these measures. They've been time and again found to be illegal and unconstitutional by various courts of laws, and yet these uh, Republicans continue to pass them in other states. They continue to appeal them and fight them and uh, keep them in place year after year after year. How many times does the same law, the Texas law in this case, how many times does it need to be found discriminatory before these guys either give up or the U.S. Supreme Court rules that all such laws are unconstitutional and discriminatory? And of key importance in this case in Texas, will this second showing this week of deliberate discrimination by Republican lawmakers in Texas, will that result in a court order for the state to be put back under the Voting Rights Act's still standing bail-in, Section 3 bail-in provision, putting them back into the preclearance requirement for states with a record of racial discrimination at the polling place, forcing any new voting-related laws by the state of Texas to have to undergo pre-approval from the federal government before they can be implemented. This law has already been found by the U.S. District Court judge to potentially disenfranchise some 600,000 already registered voters. How much will it take? Moreover, by the way, as Ari Berman uh, notes, Monday's ruling by uh, the district judge was a big victory for voting rights and a big loss for the new attorney general, Jeff Sessions, and the Trump Department of Justice. That after the judge had found that uh, previously that uh, African-Americans were three times as likely as white voters to not have the type of photo ID now required to vote in Texas. Hispanics were twice as likely. Joining us now to explain this uh, this newest court ruling, the fifth court ruling in Texas by my count, uh, by a federal district uh, uh, court, is Ernie Canning. He is Bradblog.com's longstanding Legal analyst, he is a retired attorney, author, Vietnam vet, and during the presidential campaign, he served as senior advisor to veterans for Bernie. Ernie Canning, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. How are you? Don't ask. Uh, (laughs) You should know better by now. Uh, Listen, I, I know you have been covering this Texas case You and I both. uh, You've been covering it for years at uh, Brad, literally years. This was the second time that a U.S. district judge, the same judge in this case, found the Texas to be intentionally discriminatory. Uh, That after the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals had agreed with her on most of her previous ruling uh, particularly on the law's discriminatory effect, but she was asked to rehear this case in Texas on discriminatory intent. What did she find uh, on this rehearing, and how uh, can you tell in any way how it's different from her previous rulings uh, in this uh, in this same case, Ernie?
2: Well, the the main difference in in when it was before the court of the Fifth Circuit, um, it wasn't that. Uh, she originally issued in i believe it was um, uh, 2014, october 9, twenty fourteen mm-hmm. issued a hundred and forty seven page decision which laid everything out. Uh, you mentioned, for example a moment ago what the Republicans keep coming back with this bogus uh, you know claim about a widespread voter fraud. Mm-hmm. What happens when you go into court, you have to produce your evidence, and in this case um, this This uh, photo ID law, uh, which was passed in 2011, uh, the evidence presented for the 10-year period prior to that was that out of 20 million votes cast in the state of Texas, there were only two cases of in-person voter fraud, which is the only type of fraud that can be prevented by photo ID. And uh, the judge specifically noted then and did again this time around that the bill did nothing to address mail-in balloting, which is far more vulnerable to fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, the I wasn't surprised by her decision because, uh, you, you know, she in essence, this, this new decision is 10 pages long, and most of it she's making reference to her earlier decision. What the Fifth Circuit did was it said, well... Uh, you know you, you considered matters in your in your decision which really shouldn't be probative, for example, uh, she had listed at length uh, uh, that uh, you know Texas's long history of uh, of discrimination going back uh, you know over a hundred years yeah. and what the court says is you can only consider uh evidence that is uh of, you know recently contemporaneous so what she did was she said well i, I, I concluded a paragraph just as is as, uh, to provide context but i didn't provide any weight to that the real thing that i've looked at and here's the same evidence and i've looked at it again is that uh the contemporaneous evidence uh uh is uh, uh, cl- uh clearly establishes uh, discriminatory intent and What's interesting, in a way, this is kind of the the zombie voter suppression bill, because it keeps yep. coming back, as you said. Yes. Uh, it passed in 2011. It never went into effect uh, initially because they had to get preclearance under the old Section 5 of the uh, of the Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, on March 12, 2012, uh, the DOJ through it then Assistant Attorney Thomas Perez, who, as you know, is now the uh, chair of the DNC. Mm-hmm uh sent a letter to the Texas Attorney General and said you know we're denying preclearance this is this is uh uh, uh discriminatory on August 12, a three judge district court uh, unanimous three judge district court denied preclearance because it found that it would have a disparate uh effect on on the workers the uh, i mean on on the on, racial
0: on, uh, minorities, minorities yeah. yeah
2: racial minorities and and so what happened was uh, the Supreme Court then in 2013 guts the section 5 of the voting rights act and immediately Texas
0: starts enforcing this law well when this judge it starts court, starts let, let me just underscore that yep. they immediately start enforcing this law that had already been found by the DOJ and, I believe, by a district court, in, uh, by by the appellate court in uh, in D.C., that had already been found to be racially discriminatory to uh, Hispanic and black voters. And yet, once they were freed up by that Supreme Court decision, they said, well, great, we're going to put the law into effect anyway, even though it's already been found by two federal bodies to be discriminatory.
2: yeah it was not an appellate court at that time under section 5 you had two two courses you could go to the DOJ and ask for preclearance if you if you're a covered state for mm-hmm. because of your past discrimination or you can go and file a com, uh, com, uh, request with the uh, a a three judge U.S. District Court in Washington D.C. into the
0: D.C. Circuit, right?
2: Unanim- yeah, and it was it was no the U.S. District Court in in, in Washington D.C. Right, and it's not an appellate ah, court.
0: Okay, I got and you. And
2: so so the three judge panel was unanimous, and they I mean it was just overwhelming, and and it was overwhelming because it, there is it's difficult to imagine that if you can't find discriminatory intent and discriminatory impact in this case, you couldn't find it in any case. Uh, The critical thing that that the judge ruled in both the original decision, mm-hmm. which came down on October 9, uh, 2014. This is the, probably the most disturbing thing, particularly when you see where they, what they did to put Gorsuch in, and one of the key reasons, I mm-hmm. think, is because Republicans see Gorsuch as a means to, for them to maintain power by cheating. And what happened here was uh, the original decision came down on October 9, 2014, uh, clearly laid out how this was discriminatory. Laid out how what basically happened in Texas and is still happening in Texas is she, what she refers to as a seismic shift in a uh, demographic shift, mm-hmm. in which Texas has gone you know, from in the year 2000 a state in which African Americans and uh, and uh, Hispanics make up the minority to now they're the majority. So you've got Republicans with with the the way that uh, those uh, previous minorities vote Democratic, you have Republicans concerned that they're going to lose power, that Texas is going to become a blue state. So that, is, that was the desperation out of which they uh, did all these things to do everything possible uh, to, to, and you keep in mind, you know, they, they often say, well, you know, you have to get a photo ID to do this, that, and the other. What they did was they limited very narrowly to the most a uh, 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 restricted form mm-hmm. of photo ID that would be accepted, and expressly reject every alternative ID that might be beneficial to to minorities and make it easier for them to attend. And in terms of the of the district, hand,
0: for yeah. for example, a, a handgun uh, permit is is acceptable for voting, but a state issued a state university student ID is not acceptable under exactly. this Texas and they, law.
2: And what the, judge, the judge cited those things because what happened was when the Democrats, when they presented these various amendments while the, while the bill was being uh, heard before the legislature, laid out and had experts come in on how this would ameliorate the, the adverse impact on minorities. Well, anything that would have ameliorated the adverse impact, the Republicans rejected. Anything that would maximize the adverse impact would be uh, uh, would be accepted, and African Americans were three times more likely to lack the uh, uh, the uh, approved form of ID as as uh, 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 non-Hispanic whites. Uh, for for Latinos, it was twice as uh, as awful and
0: and uh, medical me so- burden. Yeah, go ahead. Well, well, I I just want to ask you because uh, uh, two or three questions I want to make sure we get into before we run out of time here. But sh- so she cited the fact that uh, the the Republicans in the state legislature, where they had actually I think a, an emergency session to pass this law, uh, where the Republicans in the legislature, where they didn't put these things that would have made it a bit easier. Uh, it, it, she the judge cited that as evidence that Republicans were purposely hoping to discriminate. So the key here that I want to get to, uh, Ernie Canning, is that, uh, well, the difference. What is the difference legally between discriminatory intent, which which I don't think any of the votes are, uh, any of the courts are now challenging. They're all agreeing there was, uh, I'm sorry, a a discriminatory effect. The effect of the law was discriminatory. What's the difference between a discriminatory effect that this law clearly has versus discriminatory intent, discriminatory purpose? And why is that such a big thing that the... uh, District Court Judge has now uh, ruled that was twice uh, now the case, that they Republicans purposely did this. Why is that section so key?
2: Well, prior to the Supreme Court's gutting of Section 5, it would have made no difference it, because they, they wouldn't be able to, to put the law into effect. But what happened in the Fifth Circuit was the Fifth Circuit last time around, and this is... Uh, Uh, By this time, it's after uh, the—and I have to briefly mention this. What's really troubling is that this went before the Supreme Court back in 2014. And uh, there had been no challenge at that point to the accuracy of the judge's both findings of discriminatory uh, effect and discriminatory purpose. And the Supreme Court, over a blistering dissent from uh, Justice Ginsburg, said, well— you issued your decision too close to the election, so basically 608,000 people have to be disenfranchised for the 2014 midterm, and that's what happened. When it came back to the uh, the Fifth Circuit, they said, you know, they had these quibbling problems with the, with the discriminatory purpose finding. But they upheld the judge 's determination that it had an unlawful uh, discriminatory impact on minorities in violation of section five, so what they said was for discriminatory if it 's only discriminatory impact, you shouldn 't be tossing the entire law out uh, you 'd have to come up with a lesser remedy, which they did this if you remember in the last election they they came up with an agreed remedy where people could sign an uh, undue burden... Uh, an,
0: uh, affidavit to, to yeah, an affidavit to swear, I swear to God, I really couldn't get an ID and, and that sort yeah, of and thing and the Republicans let them vote. They yeah. tried
2: to intimidate people for, for signing those, but in any event, that, that, uh, it, I think it was called a reasonable impediment declaration.
0: But if it's done it on purpose, not- if, if, they, if, if it's determined that the Republicans specifically did this to disenfranchise minorities... That's a huge difference from oh it just happened that it just had that effect that if they did it on purpose they could be required once again to face pre-clearance for every single law is is that right is that, that the bar
2: one of the potentials and the important thing is that the discriminatory purpose uh, allows the court to enjoin the entire law so it it. It's just as if we we finally turn the clock back ah. to 2012 when the courts had, had basically said you can't enforce this thing. But the second thing is they could potentially put them under preclearance. The problem that I have with putting them under preclearance, as long as um, Jeff Sessions is in control of the Justice Department, mm-hmm. and we saw it actually somewhat uh, during the Bush administration, is that uh, the Department of Justice may be approving things uh, uh providing preclearance mm-hmm. for things they shouldn't be providing uh, under uh, a less than honest uh, uh, attorney general., well, yeah, but
0: it's going to it shifts the burden of proof back to uh, to the state to prove that any new laws are not discriminatory. and uh, you know, where uh, I guess worst case scenario, uh, there's there's a chance that in twenty uh, twenty, twenty, uh, you know that uh, a legitimate justice department of justice and you know legitimate voting rights advocates can be restored to the department of justice and if that's the case then at least texas will have to get preclearance from that department of justice i mean they they if if it the court has determined that this was definitely done on purpose by republicans to keep democrats to keep uh, african americans to keep Uh, minority voters from being able to cast a vote, there must be some sort of institutional penalty for that. Uh, And putting them under preclearance, I think, is key. Uh, Ernie, I've got just one uh, minute here or so left. Uh, Some years ago, (laughs) yes, these photo ID cases have been going on for that long. You had analyzed um, the various rulings in Texas and, and other states and concluded that those laws could not stand up to constitutional scrutiny by the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, that was before Scalia had died. Now we have this new justice on what is officially now a stolen Supreme Court majority. Um, uh, do you feel that the photo ID laws, if they ever do finally make their way to the Supreme Court, that they will be turned down once and for all by the high court, even with this uh with this new uh, uh, Neil Gorsuch uh, in, in that stolen seat? Uh,
2: up until the time that they refused to uh, hear uh, the uh, petition for a uh, writ of certiorari in the uh, Wisconsin case, mm-hmm. I had believed that to be the case. I am deeply troubled that uh, Justice Kennedy in particular has not uh, um, uh, abided by the things that were said in the... Um, uh in the majority uh decision in the case the indiana case that uh that originally upheld uh... uh photo id only because they had not been able to prove uh, uh they had not offered mm-hmm. evidence in that case about uh, uh, undue, uh a undue burden being imposed and uh, and as you know the the other one of the justices that signed that is subsequently retired uh you had the the the, the guy in the original case that was the seventh circuit judge appointed by ronald reagan who's mm-hmm. come out and his eyes have really been open and he he i think made the most astute uh, uh... dissenting opinion in the in the wisconsin appellate case where he said that essentially uh... the claim of voter fraud is nothing more than a fig leaf designed to mask the intent of the party uh... uh... uh that is asserting the need for photo IDs to remain in power.
0: And that was Richard Posner, the most uh, yeah. cited uh, appellate court judge, uh, the most cited legal scholar of the the 20th century, cited by the U.S. Supreme Court. Sounds like if and when this case uh, gets to the Supreme Court and photo ID overall gets to the Supreme Court, it's once again going to come down to uh, Anthony Kennedy as the swing vote at least as long as he is on the court. Uh, Ernie Canning, uh, thanks for your coverage over the years on this and filling us in on this today. I'm sorry to have to keep bringing you back on this same goddamn law, but...
2: Well, Well, we'll be waiting for the Fifth Circuit to weigh in again.
0: That's right, because now Texas is going to appeal it back to the Fifth Circuit. And who knows, uh, the conservative Fifth Circuit, who knows what they'll say. But uh, they came down on the right side of this last time, so maybe they'll do it again. Uh, Thank you, Ernie. Greatly appreciate your help here today. We'll be talking to you again in the near future, I suspect. Ernie Canning, uh, legal analyst for Bradblog.com. Check out his work there, as always. Uh, Thank you, brother, very much. Okay. All right. We got to get to a quick break and back with our Green News report. We're running late, as usual, as we do here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help out however you can. That's bradblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Melting as usual for Desi Doyen in the Green <laughs> News Report. How are you, Des? Doing all right. Are you melting? Uh, not yet. Well, wait for it. It should be coming soon. <laughs> uh, all right, we better get to it. Our latest Green News Report. When you look at those stark white photos... You're looking at the face of climate change.
1: Two-thirds of the Great Barrier Reef fighting for its life, scientists say. No amount of lead in blood is safe for children. Trump EPA plans to dismantle programs that protect kids from lead paint. EPA also plans to eliminate its vehicle testing program. Plus, California's historic drought is officially over, but conservation measures remain in place. The hell
0: with that, I'm watering my sidewalk again. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman.
1: And I'm Desi Doyen.
0: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Trump claimed the evidence had left him feeling somewhat vindicated, which is not really surprising. Trump feels vindicated by dubious sources all the time we don't need to invest in clean
1: energy it says right here on the cup that america runs on (laughs) duncan
0: this is your green news report okay desi doyan you've been warning about it for years It's difficult to get anyone's attention to what this actually means for the planet.
1: Yep, on Australia's Great Barrier Reef, scientists' worst fears are now confirmed. Based on new aerial surveys just last week, Australian researchers confirmed that severe coral bleaching has now spread to the center section of the Great Barrier Reef, caused by back-to-back years of unusually warm ocean temperatures, giving the reef no time to recover. In a video published by The Guardian, Australia's chief coral researcher Professor Terry Hughes blamed global warming. This year, tragically, that damage has extended much further south. So in 2017, if we look at the last two years in combination, Fully two-thirds of the Great Barrier Reef, the northern third and the middle third, is now severely damaged by global warming. And even more worrisome, the unusual ocean temperatures causing the mass coral bleaching this year are occurring without the help of an El Nino event temporarily increasing ocean temperatures.
0: I think when we say coral bleaching, that doesn't sound nearly as bad as, frankly, coral death. We are talking about huge swaths of the Great Barrier Reef, That is just being absolutely wiped out. And uh, I guess, you know, it's underwater. So, hey, who notices?
1: Meanwhile, here in the U.S., California Governor Jerry Brown has announced an end to California's five-year historic drought across most, but not all, of the state, thanks to a record wet winter in Northern California that filled the state's reservoirs and threatened the integrity of the Oroville Dam. Despite the boost in surface waters, though, groundwater is still depleted due to decades of overpumping by the agriculture industry. In In a statement, Governor Brown warned conservation measures and bans on wasteful practices will remain in effect, saying, quote, the next drought could be around the corner and conservation must remain a way of life.
0: So all of those people who pulled out their lawn, replaced it with uh, desert plants. Should not restore that lawn just yet?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Meanwhile, in the nation's capital, children's health advocates are alarmed by internal budget memos obtained by the Washington Post that show the Trump administration Environmental Protection Agency plans to eliminate two programs that reduce children's exposure to lead, which causes permanent brain damage.
0: Because, of course, they do.
1: The proposed cuts will effectively close the EPA division that manages and funds state grants to remove lead-based paint from older homes. Homes. The Trump administration also hopes to eliminate the EPA's vehicle testing program, which verifies whether cars and trucks meet emissions standards and their mileage stickers are accurate. That's the same division that caught Volkswagen last year intentionally cheating on U.S. emissions regulations. So they
0: caught them cheating a huge judgment on damages in this case. And that is what Trump wants to do away with? Yep. Because of course he does.
1: And Politico reports that the Trump EPA has already closed its climate adaptation and smart growth divisions, which provide assistance, data and funding to local municipalities to help them prepare their infrastructure to be resilient to climate impacts like extreme weather and flooding.
0: I thought we were going to not do anything about global warming. We were just going to have to mitigate it, live through it. Now they're getting rid of the division that helps Americans live through it? Yes. Because, of course.
1: But a majority of Americans do not approve of Trump's environmental policies. According to a new Quinnipiac poll, 61 percent of Americans surveyed disapprove of the way Trump is handling the environment. That's a higher disapproval rating than for Trump's handling of foreign policy, terrorism and the economy. Finally, the climate science denying right wing Heartland Institute is trying to infiltrate science education by mailing to the nation's science teachers teaching materials that deny climate change. Despite huge budget cuts that limit their ability to afford class teaching materials, it appears, however, that many science teachers aren't fooled. They're rejecting Heartland Institute's science denial packets, stamping them with return to sender.
0: Good for them. You can fool some of the science teachers some of the time and, well, you get the idea <laughs> for much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman, and
1: I'm Desi Doyle, and
0: this has been your Green News Report. She wrote about it. To a bonnet. Return send No such number! <laughs> No such zone. Thank Return you very to much. Sender, yeah, yep. we got uh, more coming up. I think later this week uh, on uh, on some of those. We're learning more about the proposed cuts at the EPA. Oh yes. That uh, and they're really disturbing.
1: Oh yeah. This is this is definitely intended not just to dismantle the agency, but to freeze everything it does and roll back ret- pollution protections that that Americans have enjoyed for decades now. I mean, it's, yeah, it's make it's America so much, sick again.
0: Yeah. So much for pre- you know protecting air and water. Water, we knew climate change, but on air and water, they oh, we're still going to protect. Not so much uh, Very quickly, Des uh, You said uh, You have found something at the BLM Oh, at yes, the yes, of Land yes. Management This was... was
1: originally reported by Mashable.com I should give proper uh, attribution But basically the Bureau of Land Management Which manages all of the public mm-hmm. lands You know, that are owned by taxpayers yeah. uh, The Bureau of Land Management uh, Had on its website Its main landing page A photo of a family Enjoying a beautiful vista Hiking in our public lands oh, that and that sounds nice Yeah, sometime last week they changed that to a photo of a giant coal deposit, a coal seam that was like 40 feet tall because, you know, they're going to change their focus now away from recreation and toward energy extraction but we'll have more on that in our next gnr
0: okay i will look forward to that thank you very much desi doyan our producer today as ever my thanks to d'angelo jones our board op today and to my guest ernest canning of bradblog.com thanks one and all and thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us if you missed any portion of today's program or any other you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com or your favorite uh, pod, uh, podcast site, where we hope you'll uh, put in a good review for us when you do. It makes it a little easier for everyone else to find us as well. Drop me email if you want. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Find me, follow me, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters. You, yes, you share us on the Facebooks and Twitters. I am simply the Brad Blog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You.